0: So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and they have Bibles to bring. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Somebody will bring one to you, and uh, you can read it uh, yourself. Uh, we want you to get into God's Word... And uh, so just raise your hand. We got them right here in the center. And if you need a Bible, you just take it with you because we want you reading it and know, knowing what God has to say. And also then back there, could you pop the picture back up from uh, the one little picture we have? So this is, you see about a third of the people. The dividing line in the middle is between the men's group and the women's group, okay? Okay. And so everybody was sitting on the floor, I had over a 100 people together there, but you know, since we started this project of investing in unengaged people groups, those are groups of people, about 100,000 each in the, that we have supported. We chose two of them that have had no Christians in them. There was no church there. There was nobody trying to reach them. There's nobody who's been baptized. There's no scripture in their language. And so we started in to bring them the scripture and evangelists telling them uh, the story of Jesus. And uh, so it's cost us over $50,000 so far. And uh, let me tell you, there's, between the two groups, they've shared with five, over 5,000 people personally the story of Jesus, and they've shown the Jesus film to over 2,000 people, and uh, so today there are over 100 people in the small groups, in 13 different Bible study groups, and they've started 15 churches with about a total of 500 people between all of them. And it's just phenomenal. So when I asked them, what can we do? They gave me a shopping list with about another $150,000 worth of projects. Basically, here's how we could get the gospel to this many more people. How about six more people groups, they said, and uh, to get the news out there. So it really is good news. And all of these believers knew and know when they come to Jesus, when they accepted Jesus as their Savior, and they came to Christ, they know that at some point they're gonna suffer persecution because of Jesus. In fact, just recently, the government in Nepal outlawed conversion. It is a crime to convert to Christianity in Nepal today. I mean, the government there has set the place that you cross the line, not when you pray the prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, and not when you go to church, it's when you're baptized. If you're baptized, it's a crime that could be punished by... Uh, six years in prison. So we asked one guy who's there, what do you do? He said, well, we love Jesus, so we just continue sharing Jesus with other people, and we expect that we're going to spend six years in prison. So I don't know if you have that in the plan for your life, Um, but uh, we haven't been under that kind of persecution here. But it's, you know, we part of the message today that we're looking at is to realize that we are not completely immune from persecution, and we shouldn't be surprised when it comes our way. Look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, starting Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ouch. I mean this is something is foreign to our way of thinking. We think, you know if I'm nice people will be nice back and if I love Jesus and be a good person God will uh, t- take me from one blessing to the next. Just bless me, bless me, bless me. Not a care in the world. But Jesus here basically said that fully devoted followers of Christ will suffer persecution. Expect it. And this is not an isolated scripture. This is all through the Bible. See, Jesus is preaching here the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, but he has much of the same material recorded in the book of Luke on a Sermon on the Plain. And so he is setting out his priorities as the King of Kings, and he is telling people, here's what it's going to be like in my kingdom. Here's what it's like under my reign. Well, it's so different from the world's view that it's like it's upside down, except Jesus is always right. He's always right, so really, who's upside down? I mean, Jesus called his devoted followers to live in this world by the values of his kingdom. So you don't belong in the world. You're a stranger. You're an alien. This is not your home. You don't really fit in here. A few years ago, we took a mission trip to Cordova, Alaska. You can only get to Cordova by sea or by air. There is no road that connects to any road that goes to Cordova, Alaska. You can't get there from here. And so we're there helping this little church, and they gave me a highly technical job of here, drive this truck of junk to the dump. Okay, and so there's two dumps. Actually, you have a choice. One is on fire continually, and that was fun for the pyromaniacs in the group who love to take stuff and watch it burn. And the other was a dump that didn't burn. So I'm taking a load to the dump that didn't burn. I'm in a truck, you understand, that has Alaska license plates. I'm dressed for work. I get there and I get out of the truck and somebody looks at me and says, Hi, you're not from around here, are you? I said, How did you know? They said, Well, the I saw the stuff on your truck. And the stuff that you, if you lived here, you wouldn't throw that away. So could you just follow me to my house and we'll unload it at my house? I said, Well, sure. And so, even though I was trying to look the part, we didn't fit in. Well, see, as Christians, we're kind of like that in the world. The world doesn't know what to do with fully devoted followers of Jesus because we're not like the world. We have a different Lord. We're, we're, we're marching to the, to the beat of a different drum. So, persecution for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake, is simply the world telling you you don't belong. And that's good because if you don't belong to the world, it's a sign that you belong to God's kingdom. So here's the big idea. The citizens of God's kingdom rejoice to suffer for Jesus because they love and they follow Jesus and this world is not our home. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution happens when there is a clash of two value systems. They share the same space and time. They're pushing against each other. We know that the values of our King Jesus are in conflict with the values of the world. In fact, John Stott said that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Now, here in California, we live with just the fact of earthquakes happen. Earthquakes happen when there's two major forces pushing against each other, and we happen to live above two tectonic plates, the Pacific Plate and the North American Plate. And they meet at the San Andreas Fault. And the San Andreas Fault is 650 miles long, and it's at least, in some spots, it's 10 miles deep. They're not headed in the same direction, these two plates. And they're not moving at the same rate. And so with 650 miles of points where they connect, there is lots of room for friction. So for a while, they just push and they push and they push. And on the surface, it appears to be no problem. But the pressure is building up. And then suddenly, there's a rupture. And deep down, there's a collision. There's a collapse. Did you know that last Sunday there was a 2.7 earthquake near Hollister, California. And on Monday, there was a 2.7 near Loma Linda. And on Tuesday, there was a 3.9 near Santa Catalina Island. And on Wednesday, there was a 2.8 near Mammoth Lakes. And on Thursday, there were five earthquakes, a 2.8, a 3.4, a 3.7, a 2.9, and a 4.3 north of uh, San Francisco or in Lompoc was the last one. And then on Friday, there was a 2.8 near San Diego. On Saturday, they took the day off. (laughs) Do you think the tectonic plates were resting that day? No, they were still pressuring each other. The pressure was still building up. There was just no rupture on that day. So compare this to us and the world. You have two plates that are pushing against each other. And if you're a church-going person and you do not have any pressure with the world or with the values of the world, maybe you're just trying to fit in, maybe you don't really know Jesus. Because James explains, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You have to choose which side you're on. And by not choosing, you've chosen to be on the world's side. But when you choose the side of Christ, of course, there's all kinds of benefits. You know, you get forgiven for all your sin, and he gives you purpose and fills your heart and gives you love and joy and peace, and he gives you heaven and and all those things. But persecution happens. It happened in the life of the prophets, every prophet that God sent. And persecution happened in the life of Jesus, and it happened in the life of the early church. Read the book of Acts. In fact, all but one of the 11 disciples died as a martyr. And the persecution happened in the lives of the church fathers, and persecution happened in the lives of the bold reformers, people like Martin Luther, and persecution happens in the life of the believers in Nepal, within your lifetime. And so when it comes to you and to me, we shouldn't be surprised when the world's rejection or hostility or persecution comes our way. If you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're not from around here and you're already out of step with this world. Expect to be persecuted for your faith and your love for Jesus at some point. In fact, that's what Jesus said here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The citizens of God's kingdom rejoice to suffer for Jesus Christ because they love and they follow Jesus, and this world is not their home. So look, you look at verse 10 and verse 11. In verse 10 he says, you're persecuted for righteousness sake. In verse 11 he talks about being persecuted on my account, on the account of Christ. They're one and the same. Our righteousness is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. We don't have a righteousness of our own. Our own righteousness in God's sight is like filthy rags, the Bible says. Well, here's the thought. Sometimes when we get picked on or beat on in the world or ostracized, it's not for uh, the righteousness of Christ. We're getting persecuted because we have rough edges or we're naturally hard to love or it's our own grouchiness or our own selfishness that got in our way. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about when you're persecuted for righteousness. Righteousness is persecuted because it lives differently from the world and in doing so, it's a condemnation of the world's values. So people who live thinking greed is good run into believers who say, I'm going to practice generosity. People who say, I've got a hoard, get all I can, can all I get, sit on the can, run into Christians who say, I'm going to share, I'm going to give, I'm going to, you're going to help meet other people's needs. People who say, I'm going to live for the moment run into Christians who say, I'm planning for eternity. People who say, I'm going to have immediate gratification for my physical desires. Run into people who say, I'm willing to wait for God's perfect timing in my life so I can live a life of purity. On and on and on, and the values of Christ are not the values of this world, the values of this world are not the values of Christ. And they are in conflict with each other. So there's only really two responses. One is moving away from Christ and one is moving towards Christ. Moving away from Christ and opposing him or moving towards Christ and embracing him. John captured captured this in chapter three. He said, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. That's moving away. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. That's embracing Christ and moving toward him. So how might we be persecuted? Well, look at Jesus said in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. That's a verbal attack. Or persecute you. Talking about a physical attack or an economic attack. I mean, what would you do if you found out that because you're a Christian, you go to your bank and they refuse to serve you or they refuse to let you borrow money to buy a house? I, I didn't make this up. Where Jesus said, or utter all kinds of evil falsely on my account. He's talking about verbal slander, smearing you. He says, great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, you look at the prophet Elijah. God comes and says, Elijah, go run to the king and tell him because of your sin it's not going to rain. You don't think that's going to cause a problem? He goes and delivers a message and he runs away. He can't really go back to his home. He can't go back to his job. He runs out to hide and he hides for a year and two and three and a half a year. And so it doesn't exactly help his retirement account or provide economic stability or any creature comforts. Fact was, he was living out next to a stream outside and God was having birds bring, um, you know, roadkill to feed him. Or the prophet Jeremiah, he's just a little lad and God came to him and said, Hey, Jeremiah. I was watching you when you were being formed in your mother's womb. And I've got a job for you to do. And I have set you apart to do that job. And Jeremiah goes, but, but God, I'm just a boy. God says, don't tell me that. I made your mouth. And I have a message for you to give, a message of doom to go take to the bad guys. And they aren't going to like it. And when you tell them what I tell you to say, they're going to beat on you. But guess what? Don't worry. I got you covered. Can you see why he's called the weeping prophet? He goes and delivers that message of doom for 40 years and not one person repents. He doesn't even have an account of one person who said, you know, you're right. I've got to turn and follow God. Or John the Baptist, he got out in the wilderness, tell him the truth. It got him arrested, put in prison. They beheaded him. Jesus said the world was not worthy of these kind of prophets. Or what about Martin Luther? We wanted to note and to celebrate that today of of the the Protestant Reformation because he was born in 1483 in Germany and he was educated and headed into a career in law. And about that time, he had a huge crisis one day because there was this massive rainstorm and he really didn't think he was going to survive it. So he called out to God for deliverance and he said, God, if I survive this storm, I'll become a monk. And he did, and he did. He survived the storm, and he became a monk. So he threw himself into all of the theological pursuits and into the spiritual disciplines. And later Luther said, quote, I myself was a monk for 20 years. I tortured myself with praying, fasting, keeping vigils, and freezing. If any monk ever got to heaven by monkery, then I should have made it. But he anguished over his own sin, and he was appalled at the practices of the church and how they had completely gotten away from Scripture. And he read in the Scriptures, the just will live by faith. And the lights came on. His... His faith came alive in Jesus Christ and he accepted that Jesus was the only one who could forgive his sin and justify him before God and that his sins could be forgiven if he just asked and he was finally at peace with God. And then he looked at the church around him and he was so appalled he put together a list of complaints, 95 things, called his 95 theses, and he took this and he tacked it on October 31st, 500 years ago, he tacked it on the door of the castle in Wittenberg where he lived for everybody to see. And it created a firestorm in Germany. He got a response. In fact, he got called uh, by the Pope in Rome to come and answer for his complaints and his writings before a council of the Pope. And they said, you better recant your statements against the Pope and against the church. Take it back and say you're sorry, or you'll be excommunicated. You'll be fired. You'll be humiliated. You'll be kicked out. You'll be rejected. And when he had to give his answer, Luther said, I am bound to the scriptures. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. So Luther was excommunicated. He went on to be a leader of the Protestant Reformation and he translated the New Testament into German and he got it to the common people so that the common man could read God's word and say, what does God require of me? What does God want to have happen in my life? How do I be right with God? And he and the other bold reformers pounded out five non-negotiables that we would still hold to today. It's summarized by James Montgomery Boyce, and I'm going to give them to you. But I just, you know how, well, he's not up here anymore, but you know how Bob likes Latin? (laughs) All right, so I'm going to get a little Latin. I don't know Latin, but there's a few Latin words here. Okay, so write these down because they're not in your notes uh, anywhere. But these are the five major themes that came out of the Reformation. Number one, sola scriptura, scripture only. That the scripture, the Bible, God's word, is our ultimate guide for our faith and our practice. So if there's somebody who's teaching something, you could say, what does the Bible say? What did the Bible mean to the first people who heard it? What does it mean to us today? And when people depart from the Bible, even if it's popular, they're wrong. And you judge how you're going to live and what you're going to believe by what the Bible teaches not what's convenient or popular. The second is Solus Christus, Christ alone, that our salvation has been accomplished once and for all by the work of the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. His sinless life and his substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification. We are not justified before God for anything that you and I did. It's simply and only the work of Christ. Then sola gratia, grace alone, that God owes us nothing except punishment. That it's God's grace alone expressed through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ, releasing us from the bondage of sin and raising us from death to spiritual life. And then sola fide, faith alone, that our justification is the act of God by which he declares sinners to be righteous because of Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And then number five, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone, that all things really are from God and to God, and that we say to God alone be the glory. So it's by Scripture alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, the glory to God alone. Well, what's our response to persecution? I think our typical response when things don't go our way is to whine about it. And when it gets worse, we complain and we feel picked on and we wonder why. And uh, since we love Jesus and since we show up at church and bless God, you know, that way, and we have church friends and, and um, you know, we're trying to be decent, decent human beings, why doesn't the world just leave us alone or, or at least accept us? Or maybe we think, well, God's punishing me for something. Or he's forgotten to protect us or to care for us or to love us. I I think what we're seeing in the Scripture today is that persecution is normative in the lives of God's people. It's the norm. So at very least, expect it. Don't be surprised when it comes your way, when it knocks on your door. When you live by Jesus' righteousness, expect to be persecuted by the world because it doesn't understand Jesus. And it rejected him. So not why me, but praise God. Peter commented on this in his letter. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I mean, this is the Peter who walked with Jesus for three years. This is the one that Jesus said to, Who do people say that I am? And Peter spoke for the group Oh, well, you know, you're Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. He says, well, what do you say? And Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the same Peter who, when Jesus was arrested, got kind of shook a little bit and first tried to defend Jesus and then denied that he ever knew him. And Jesus had to forgive him. This is the same Peter that once restored. Now he's saying, don't be surprised, expect it. You're insulted for the name of Christ the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is St. Peter who died, crucified upside down for his love for Jesus. See, Jesus takes it way beyond just to expect it, get ready. He says, rejoice and be glad. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. I don't know about you, that's not my primary way that I respond to persecution. Rejoice and be glad. I mean, that's clearly going to take a follower mindset, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought of that on your own. You just didn't naturally see that one coming, nor would I. But we are fully devoted followers of Christ. And Jesus talked to talk, but he also walked to walk. He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was the one praying alone in the garden so intensely that his sweat was like drops of blood. and he's praying, "Not my will, but yours be done." It's the same prayer that you and I have on our lips when we're facing persecution. God, I don't want this in my life, but your will be done. Whatever you want, Jesus, the answer is yes. He was the one that was beaten beyond recognition. He's abused and a crown of thorns was smashed onto his head, and he's left to die on a Roman cross. The Bible says he didn't focus on the persecution. He looked beyond that to heaven and to the reward. His reward is a relationship with you and with me. Look at it says in Hebrews 12 too, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. James said it this way in chapter 1. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, also translated endurance. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now think about this. You can't really rejoice and be glad and be scheming. How do I retaliate? How do I get even with that person for being mean to me or making my life difficult? In fact, Jesus said, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you on the left one as well. If somebody wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anybody forces you to go one mile carrying their stuff, go two miles fully devoted followers of Jesus are called to suffer persecution for the sake of Christ. It's all over the Bible. Philippians 1, for you have been, it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Ephesians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So if we endure this persecution with the right attitude, what's the reward? Look at it says verse 12, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. First off, your reward is it means you're going to heaven. That's good news, because not everybody's going to be there. Second, when you get to heaven, you get to see Jesus face to face and to hear his voice. Remember, Peter told us in advance, you're going to face fiery trials. Now, there's a scripture that talks about your and my works like they're gold or silver or precious stones or wood, hay, or stubble or straw. Paul said it this way, no one lays a foundation other than what's laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anybody builds on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, age, stubble, each person's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on this foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Jesus said, I'm going to test the work of your life to see if it passes the test. So we see Jesus face to face. I think Jesus can say something like this I watched you be persecuted. You do not want to hear him say, next, Do you know, in your moment of testing, you denied me. You chose instead to look like the world, to identify with the world. You didn't want to be persecuted. You didn't want the hostility. You didn't want the rejection and the pain that came with it. You wanted to look like and belong to the world rather than to me. You don't want him to say that. You also don't want him to say, in your moments of testing, you ducked. You did everything you could to avoid what I had in mind for you. I had a plan that would glorify me in your life. Now, you want to hear him say, I watched you be persecuted. I was with you in your hardest moment. I was so proud of you, the way you passed the test. Welcome home. Well done. Third thing here is, there's a lot of talk of rewards when we get to heaven. You know, gold streets and mansions and all that kind of stuff. Like, somehow our motivation to follow Christ is our greed rather than our love for God. Now, here's a thought. Why not just say, God, when it comes to that reward, surprise me, just surprise me. I mean, God's gonna anyway. He tells us that. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God's got something so much bigger, so much better than you and I could even think up. And he's going to just love on us. So let's wrap this up. The citizens of God's kingdom rejoice to suffer for Jesus Christ because they love and they follow Jesus. And this world is not their home. That Jesus suffered, the early church suffered, Martin Luther suffered, the Christians around the world today are suffering. Why would it be any different for you or for me? We should expect to suffer for our faith. So we need to know that persecution is the expectation And we need to get ready to be persecuted. It is Christ in me, not just me. To be ready to stand and to stand for Christ and to rejoice through the persecution, to have the firm conviction of the joy that is set before us. So let us encourage one another, embrace one another, help each other stand and walk together. Somebody this week mentioned, you know, a couple of my friends are missing at church. I said, call them. Call them. I'd say the same to you if you notice somebody's missing. Don't wait for a a paid staff person to do it. Call them. Say, hey, I missed you. Come on. Let's walk this Jesus way together. Help each other not get too comfortable with what the world has to offer. This is not our home. You're not from around here. This is not forever. It's temporary. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and on the prize of being with Jesus in heaven forever. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, for the example that you set, that your disciples set, that the early church set, that Martin Luther set for us. I thank you for Jesus and for people who have been willing to stand and to endure and to suffer and to lose to gain Christ. May we be the same kind of people and have the same kind of resolve because we know that You are our Savior, and we know we're going to spend eternity with You. So give us that courage to live for You each and every day, even when we feel the pressure of the world, because You are the Savior. You are the King, and we live by Your values. We love You. Thank You for loving us. Amen.